Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. Good morning. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird. We're live streaming on Jolt Radio from Miami, Florida. Every week we spark conversations about contemporary art, design, and film with culture makers from around the world. You can listen to our stories anytime, anywhere you go for podcasts. A Miami landmark inspires today's story. This is a tale of architecture, of speedboats and Jimmy Buffett, skateboarding, street art, and a storm named Andrew. Helping me tell the story are advocates and artists, architects and restoration specialists. We're talking about a local legend, the Miami Marine Stadium. Let's begin with a flashback to our 2016 episode with dancer-choreographer Hattie Mae Williams. Her creative intervention at the stadium is just one example of how the site has beckoned artists for decades. That's the sound of the water of Biscayne Bay, lapping up at the edges of the abandoned speedboat racing venue on Virginia Key, known as the Miami Marine Stadium. Cuban-born artist Ilario Candela was 28 years old and a recent immigrant to the U.S. when he created his wild design for the stadium built in 1963, made entirely of lightweight poured concrete. The modernist icon features a 326-foot-long cantilevered roof. For three decades, the stadium was a hugely popular gathering place, not only for powerboat races, but also for political rallies, religious services, and concerts. Jimmy Buffett, Gloria Estefan, Sammy Davis Jr., and the Rolling Stones came to perform on its floating stage with downtown Miami as the backdrop. All this activity came to a sudden halt in 1992 when Hurricane Andrew slammed South Florida. Bob, did you ever think it would be this bad? No, I did not. I don't think any of us comprehended this. I've looked at uh, uh, hurricane damage ever since I've been involved in the game. And as widespread as this, no, there's nothing to compare to this. There was damage to the structure. The city closed and condemned the venue. In 2008, when officials were about to order it demolished, a group of activists stepped up to form Friends of the Miami Marine Stadium. A year later, the National Trust for Historic Preservation added the stadium to its list of America's 11 most endangered historic places. While friends of the stadium never stopped working to bring the place back to life, a growing number of artists have made their way to the site, some risking arrest. Many have claimed the stadium's concrete surface as their canvas, and Hattie Mae Williams is one of them. The fact that artists are reintroducing it to the community really caught my attention. The place is uh, abandoned and it's, it's prohibited to go there. So there's that element of it too, of like how artists are going to a space that's not open yet and trying to practice their art, which I think is really interesting. We really wanted to document what's happening there at this moment. 
What is happening? Right, I think what's happening is that it's organically changing. Wonderful artists, visual artists, dancers, musicians, they're coming and they're reclaiming the space. The artist adds her own voice to those bringing awareness of all the creativity taking place amidst this beauty and decay. Since the stadium is off-limits, she scripted the performance to be produced as a film. Williams has support. The Knight Foundation funded the project she titled Culture Concrete. Her Kickstarter campaign easily raised matching funds. And Friends of Miami Marine Stadium are her partners. I think this space will be restored, and who knows what it will look like. Who knows if this history that we're creating will still be recognized. So it's important for us to document what's happening now, which I think is like um, a movement, actually. Four dancers and an actor are participating. And then groups of people who are supporting, filming, documenting, writing, looking at the history of what used to happen there. Because that space is really rich in history that I think people in Miami need to know about. What a good way to do it through the arts. Hattie Mae Williams and a score of other creatives are part of the movement that's brought fresh attention to Miami Marine Stadium. Though the legendary stadium is still off-limits and restoration remains in limbo, the surrounding park and basin will be the site of the 2016 Miami International Boat Show. Thousands will see the architectural wonder for the first time. It's the inescapable backdrop for a multi-million dollar event. So much has happened since I recorded that conversation with Hattie Mae Williams. The Marine Stadium is now on the verge of complete restoration. This February, Miami's International Boat Show has come to the stadium's home on Virginia Key for the third year in a row. I jump on one of the boat show shuttles to go see the cultural monument up close for the first time. Near the entrance of the show, I meet Don Worth, one of the founders of Friends of Miami Marine Stadium. He set up a display of posters on easels under a couple of umbrellas. He's here to talk to boat show visitors about the past and future of the fenced-off stadium that's hiding in plain sight, right behind him. With its back to the incoming crowd, the empty venue sits yawning at the edge of Biscayne Bay. Do you think it's, it's helped draw more attention to the stadium or not? It has. I think because... Basically, more people have seen the stadium at the boat show than have seen it in the previous 25 years combined. So it's great exposure. We've been able to greatly add to our email list and roster of supporters through things like this. The boat show has introduced us to some potential major sponsors. The boat show itself has been supportive of the Marine Stadium restoration because the stadium is a great reason for anybody to own a boat in South Florida. So it's been positive. Now we, we know there are issues that some people have with the boat show being here, but in life, if you want to accomplish something, everything is trade-offs. And on balance, this has been good for us. And uh, if the boat show hadn't have come along three years ago, I'm not sure then we would be able to save this site 
because the boat show basically preserved it from future development. Don and other volunteers come here every day of the show, hoping to capture 500 new signatures in support of the stadium restoration. And if you could just print neater than I do. So are you based in Miami? No, we're on the other coast. Other coast. Other coast. Naples. Okay, so why do you think it's important to sign this petition? Because of the history of the property. I'd love to see it come back to use again. If it was open again, what would you come um, here we'll for? Come to a concert. A concert? A concert. It could be like a drive-through kind of style. Maybe you sit and watch movies. Cool. From the water? Yeah. Anything from the water. I walked down to the boat show pier for a waterside view. Few visitors seem to notice the graffiti-covered structure or its missing teeth. 300 original seats were removed in 2016 to auction off in a fundraiser. Until they take out the rest of the seating in phase one of the restoration, the rainbow bullseye that spans the center section will remain intact. You'll soon meet the artist behind the painting. So what's making you sign this petition? Well, this is a beautiful place and I think that it should be saved and people like our kids should visit it when we get older. Agreed. What, are you here with a school? Yeah, Columbus Anglers Club, Christopher Columbus High School. Had you been to the Marine Stadium before? Uh, on boat, yeah, once. It's quite beautiful, isn't it? Yes. Are you a fan of graffiti? Not really, but it kind of looks cool with it. It's the public art for the people. Yeah, that's why I think in Miami it looks cool. I don't think in any other places it would look as cool, but Miami, I guess that's what it is. That's true, with Wynwood Yard and yeah. all the murals in Wynwood Yard, it seems like it fits here, doesn't it? It does. Very nice. A Miami-based curator has come to help friends of the stadium gather those signatures. I'm Tam Green, the curator at formerly Young Artists Initiative, now Yai Studio in Raw. We're both here because we care about a cultural landmark in Miami known as the Miami Marine Stadium. We're actually standing just inside the gates of the Miami International Boat Show, not a place either of us would find ourselves normally. So I'm an art curator who just moved to the city of Miami from New York, and one of my main missions is to bring more culture to the city, right? That's what we all want to do. And I've been trying to focus on the historical cultural landmarks of the city, all the exhibitions I've done and I'm doing at our historical architectural jewels. During Art Basel, you did a project inside a historic post office building. Yes, exactly. And I think it's a way to bring like the young millennial demographic that is interested in arts and culture in touch with their city a little bit more and their history and their culture. So what do you hope to do here at the Miami Marine Stadium? Well, I have big dreams for the stadium. You know, it's such a beautiful, amazing, real structure, right? And I think, you know, back in the day, there were concerts here, open-air concerts. People would watch boat races from the stadium. And I think, you know, the dream, and that's why I'm working closely with the Friends of the Marine Stadium, is that ideally we want to reopen it. But in order to reopen it, we need the awareness of the city of Miami and the people who are interested in for this to happen. So And the world too, Yeah, not just world. Miami. We need yeah. the world on board. Exactly, because this is a, a cultural landmark. A few weeks later, I visit Don Worth. 
in his studio apartment on Miami's South Beach. I'm here to find out more about Friends of Miami Marine Stadium. I'm very interested in finding out about your experience that led you to get involved as an advocate for the Miami Marine Stadium. About 10 years ago, we got an invitation to an event at University of Miami, a lecture called Restoring the Modern, and it had a, an image of the Marine Stadium on the invitation. So Nina said to me, my wife, well, why don't you find out about that place? Because I wasn't really familiar with it. So I made some calls, found out it was in limbo, thought it was an interesting place, then contacted Dade Heritage Trust, which is the local preservation organization, and said, I'd like to come to your next board meeting. We need to form a little group to kickstart this thing. And they said, that's a great idea. And we did. And that's how it started. Let's talk about some key moments in the history of the stadium, starting with it was built in 1963. The stadium was built in 63, uh, and it was built for boat racing because at the time, Miami was really the capital of boat racing not just locally, but really in the United States. And boat racing was the sport in South Florida. Beauty, speed, excitement. All around family entertainment. It's the greatest. A day crammed full of action. So the city leaders felt that this would be a great way to attract tourists. And the problem was is that when they raced in Key Biscayne or in the bay, the boat racers would bump into coconuts, which was a very dangerous thing. So a somewhat crackpot idea of building a stadium emerged, and the stadium was built for a cost of a million dollars, but they also had to build a race course, which is the oval in front of it, the basin, and that was dredged out for $900,000. If it had a very full life as a venue, besides the boat racing, other performances and events, it became a community space. It started out just as boat racing, but very shortly, the folks in charge realizing that boat racing wasn't enough to sustain it. So the city purchased a floating stage, a very simple barge, 30 feet by 70 feet, which they would tow across the basin and park in front of the stadium. And pretty much everybody performed there. You initially had classical musicians, the Miami Philharmonic, Arthur Fiedler and the Boston Pops, Van Cliburn, then jazz. Benny Goodman, Ray Charles, Cab Calloway, then rock groups. And every rock group who was big at the time played there. Queen, The Who, Steppenwolf, Jimmy Buffett multiple times. And there were sunrise Easter services, political rallies, television shows. Elvis Presley even filmed a movie there. It's Elvis barreling and belting out that wild Presley beat. Even boxing and wrestling. The stadium was shuttered in 1992. It operated for 29 years, and it was shuttered because the operations of the stadium were really going downhill. There were fewer events there. The city wasn't maintaining it. The city, frankly, hoped it would fall down so that it could be developed for condos. Then Hurricane Andrew occurred. The city officials said, the stadium is damaged. We have to demolish it. A engineering study that was funded by the insurance company for the city showed this is not the case. So the city had to return money they got from the federal government, from FEMA, to demolish it, and the stadium then sat there for 17 years. We formed Friends of Miami Marine Stadium 10 years ago, which was the advocacy group, and it was probably 10 years to the day. 
I remember we had our first meeting in either February or March in 2008. And in historic preservation, when you call a meeting, five people show up, and it's the same five people. I'll never forget walking into that room and seeing 20 people, and I didn't know any of them. And I said to myself right then, there's something different about this building. Just the energy I've seen from everywhere has been amazing. We've had major organizations like the National Trust for Historic Preservation adopted as one of their most important projects. The World Monuments Fund put it on their watch list. The Getty Foundation, a prestigious architectural group, gave a grant. I can go on and on with organizations, but for me, the most important thing is, is when I speak to groups of people, and I've given 100 presentations, and I'm happy to give a presentation to anybody, when I ask people about the stadium, the word that comes up is, it's magical. It's a magical place. I'll bet many of your listeners have never been inside or they've never seen it, because if you drive on the Rickenbacker Causeway to Key Biscayne, after you pass the Rusty Pelican, you see this big hulk of concrete on the left. You have to see it from the water. But here's what it's like to walk in. You walk in, and if you're near a stairwell, you look down, you see water. Because one-third of this building is built over the water, and Hilario Candela, the architect, left the stairwells open so you could really experience the water. You look up, you see this crazy origami roof. It's the length of a football field. It's an architectural marvel. It's in a, a shape called a series of hyperbolic paraboloids. It's crazy. Then you look straight out north, and then you look to the east, and you see the Sadowski Critical Wildlife Area, the mangroves, the lowlands to keep Biscayne. Then you look west to Miami. And the only way I can describe it is when you see, remember the movie The Wizard of Oz and Dorothy and her friends finished going through the woods and then coming to the open fields and boom, there's the Emerald City rising up at them. That's what it's like. If you were there 25 years ago, it's better now because Miami has grown up. The skyline is spectacular and gets more spectacular every day. This is a special place and it's like nowhere else in the world. It stands as a cultural monument. It has such an allure as a shape, a form. Architecturally, clearly we think it ought to be in the same class as a great building like the Sydney Opera House, a building that personifies the city. How do you see the future of the stadium as a venue? That's an important question because while the stadium is a monument, a magnificent building, it can't just be a monument. We've had a lot of interest from promoters of all types, and the stadium will be a multi-purpose venue. That's how it will become sustainable. So that really means four or five groups of activities. Concerts, athletic activities like dragon boat races, rowing races, it's a world-class triathlon course. Boat races, the boat racing community would love to come back, and there's a race scheduled actually in a couple of months in April. Movie shoots, and then things that we can't even imagine yet because it's such an unusual place, drone racing, projections of holograms onto the water, Cirque du Soleil shows. The Marine Stadium will become one of the great open-air venues in the world. I think the Marine Stadium will be like New York's High Line. It will come out of nowhere to be the 
tourist attraction in Miami, and I'm very excited about it. This is Fresh Art International. Today we're live streaming on Jolt Radio to bring you conversations about the once endangered Miami Marine Stadium. Thanks to activists like Don Worth, whose voice you just heard, the cultural monument's recovery is imminent. Miami-based architects and restoration specialists leading the process join me to tell you why, when, and how this will happen. I'm here with this amazing group of people that came together just for me, thank you, to talk about the Miami Marine Stadium. I am Hilario Candela. I'm the regional architect, and I'm very excited that we're now making sure that it's going to be restored. And I am Rich Heisenbottle, the historic preservation architect for the Miami Marine Stadium project. I'm Rosa Lowinger. Our firm is subcontracting to Rich Heisenbottle for specific tasks related to repair of the stadium. I'm Kelly Ciociola. I am a senior conservator with RLA Conservation, and I worked on the site work for RLA's portion of the Miami Marine Stadium project. I went to the boat show specifically to see the stadium because I'd never been anywhere near it. I've just heard about it as a legend. And I think it'd be great just to set the stage here by having you, the architect, talk about what inspired the design originally and why you created it out of cement versus other things that I'm sure people expect a stadium to be made of. Well, there was a very intense feeling to have the opportunity to work on that site. The first was the really realization that the site was certainly unique and that whatever we were going to create there, whatever I was going to design for that site, had in itself be also unique. It is definitely an outstanding site anywhere in this country or in the world for that matter because it was designed as a, for a program to see marine activities, marine shows, boat races, etc. The emphasis, of course, for the very beginning was recognizing the value of the bay and the value of the marine opportunities and reality of Miami. What came to my mind is that it had to be there for a living sculpture because everything you see in our bay changes all the time, every day of the year. So I was hoping that that marine sculpture would have captured that uniqueness. And the things that came to mind were the shapes that were created by the wind on the crest of the water, whether it was in the daytime in the sunshine and reflecting, or at nighttime with a totally different reflection by the moon. So I wanted to really relate to that. I wanted to relate to the image that most people had of how the bay changed when you saw a lot of sailboats on the bay. So the idea that it had to be a piece of sculpture was reinforced by the present and history of the stadium. There were many influences, obviously, in my thinking, and I did know a few things that I felt pretty strong about it, such as the fact that it should be made out of pouring-place concrete because it made a lot of sense in terms of its location, etc. And in that case, I mean, there were many examples of wonderful artistic work by fantastic architects that were very, very strong in my mind and, and that had a great deal of influence. I owe a lot of that inspiration to them. This was, in fact, a period of time in architecture where brutalism and the use of concrete were mainstream. That was the hot thing. This is what folks were doing worldwide. And Hilario had the opportunity to, to be at the forefront of this whole brutalist movement. But also, in the case of this particular building, I would think at the forefront of the use of thin-shelled concrete. 
to achieve forms and structural tour de force that became, in this particular case, breathtaking and iconic on the Miami skyline. Having also had the great opportunity to work with Hilario Candela back in the day, being the preservation architect now for a building that I admired since my days as a young man, is really quite the honor. I know that Rosa and Richard, you're both very involved in historic preservation as part of your practice. And I saw you, Richard, have been involved with the Olympia Theater and Vizcaya and the Colony Theater in Miami. These are landmarks as well. Tell me what your thoughts are about the history and the importance of preserving the Marine Stadium. As a young man, did you have experiences at the stadium? I did have experiences at the stadium. In fact, some of the most fun times that my wife and I had were attending that famous Jimmy Buffett concert or attending that you're watching Miss Budweiser go around in the Miami sun. I was editing some photographs for a PowerPoint presentation, Hilario, earlier today, and then just kind of remembering all of those amazing, amazing moments. Part of our charge now is to refit the stadium, restore the stadium, and add those components that are going to be necessary to return it to what it once was, and hopefully even better than it once was, to allow the community to again use the stadium for a whole host of different things, including both entertainment and marine-related uses. And Rosa? I grew up in Miami, and I remember the stadium from just driving by it. My father had a boat, and we would both buy it all the time. But also, I come to the stadium because I wrote a book about the Tropicana nightclub in Cuba, and the architect of that club, Max Borges, was one of Hilario's mentors. And that was a really interesting collaboration, and I could see that lineage of Cuban architecture and the fascination with complex roof lines happening here in this building. Now, I'm a materials conservator, and we are here essentially to, like, help architects with specific tasks of the job. We're not the grand visionaries, the architects are. So what our role is in this project is basically the material component of it. You curated an exhibition a few years ago in Coral Gables. Yes, I curated an exhibit called Concrete Paradise, Miami Marine Stadium at the Coral Gables Museum. It's interesting, when you get to do an exhibit about a building, you don't really know where it's going to go. But as I did the research, what came to light is that the Marine Stadium is really what I consider to be the Miamiest place there is. It has really everything that makes this city. This city has either transpired there or has been influenced by the stadium. For example, it was built on the water. It relates entirely to the water. It has to do with the water and water sports. It was designed by a Cuban architect right after the Cuban influx to the United States. It has boats, music. It was impacted by hurricanes. It was impacted by graffiti. And, you know, Miami is a place of street art. And it also has its dark side because it's been wrecked by certain political battles. We almost lost it simply because of the desire to develop the site for something other than the stadium. So it really, in a way, it encompasses everything that we are good and bad. So Richard, what's the timeline for this amazing, ambitious project? We have one year from just about now to get the drawings all completed, to get all the engineering documentation done, the specifications written, and to have this in the building department for review and approval and permitting. 
after that, we expected that'll take us about six more months. So now we're at 18 months before we're really ready to start construction, have the project bid and go forward. And then we're looking at probably 18 months to two years as a construction timeframe. Now we have to meet the challenges that restoring this building poses. And Rosa has certainly started her work on two of those challenges, the removal of all the graffiti, and at the same time, the notion of how do you do structural repairs on a concrete building and make them match so it doesn't look like a patchwork quilt. So Rosa, uh, you've done some studies. Exactly. And the challenge with this building is this building is its bones. A lot of buildings have bones and skin, and this building's bones are exposed, and that's the concrete finish. Right now it's covered in graffiti. So the two major challenges that we're working with Candela and Heisenbottle on are those two particular elements, how to remove the graffiti safely without damaging the beautiful formwork, and how to also, in the repairs, match that beautiful formwork so it doesn't look like it's completely pockmarked. And my colleague, Kelly Ciociola, has been the person who has led the site work on that particular challenge. The graffiti removal was really unique compared to other projects like this because of how much graffiti was actually on the site. We measured at one point about a quarter inch of thickness of graffiti. Yeah, it's about 200 layers of paint, which is a difficult task to remove and still maintain the surface finish below because the concrete has a very beautiful finish to it. The form poured concrete leaves a very nice finish of the plywood boards itself. So it's important to have something that can get through that thick layer of graffiti and still maintain that finish. So we tested multiple different chemical and abrasive methods to determine what we could use and what combination of things would work in order to get through the paint and see the concrete. And we were really happy with the results that we got. The patching is another thing that we had to take into account because you have to replicate that finish. So we did many tests off-site with different colors and textures in order to find a solution to replicating that form-poured surface. And if I can add to it, it's kind of a project that is really unique. It's like there's no other precedent that we have for this type of work. And we've been really lucky that as part of this team that Heisenbattle and Candela have put together is the engineering firm WJE with Janny Elsner, <laughs> because one of the top concrete engineers in the world is on their firm and they've been working closely with us. So for us, it's been sort of a, a dream laboratory. I may point out that whereas over the years, over the lifetime of the stadium, there have been a lot of attention placed into the stadium, even when the stadium has gone dormant. It took a while for that attention, which was really brought back into a practical everyday life with the graffiti artists that began to use it as a piece of canvas. But the most dramatic attention came about when the city decided in 2007 to unveil a master plan for the whole area where it actually showed the stadium gone, like if it had never existed. And that's when we all got together, a group of people in the community in 2008, 
we had the first effort, the first event, just a small group that swelled to be a fantastic group of people. And then that really brought the stadium to the forefront of the attention of many of the people. However, I would say that it's fair to say that the eyes of the world are on the stadium today more than ever, because as the intent and the decision by the Getty Foundation to really include the stadium in the, on the list of the 10 outstanding mid-20th century modern architecture uh, structures, just to learn how you really protect, first of all, and then how you keep them really the way they should be, the mid-20th century architecture. And that, to me, was a very turning point, So, which went beyond just our love, desire, and passion for the Marine Stadium. It goes beyond that. And I think I'd like to point out the fact that we're very fortunate that Rosa was kind of like weaving all of these pieces because it was Rosa and Rosa's effort that brought this to reality. She had the opportunity to begin to do the first studies Prior to Heisenbottle and, and our team being selected um, to restore the stadium, Rosa worked on a grant from the Getty Foundation to really look at those possibilities. And the interesting part that of all those 10 buildings throughout the world that were identified 10 different projects, this, to my understanding, was the only one of the 10 that went beyond just conversation or data in terms of written data. This went to actual effort and work where she actually made sample, did testing, and was able to really offer those results for the rest of the world to follow. And Rosa had the opportunity to do, and I'll speak for her because she might not say it. So I think that's very important. That's why I say the eyes of the world are on the stadium today. That's what I'm hearing is that it becomes a model for restoration and for the medium that it's made of and how to preserve it. What Hilaria was talking about with the Getty Foundation is their initiative called Keeping It Modern, which they unveiled about four or five years ago. And when I got wind of that, I thought, we have to get the Marine Stadium into this. And in fact, the first round of 10 buildings were buildings like the Eames House, the Sydney Opera House, the Salk Institute and the Marine Stadium. And, you know, there have been a lot of national efforts for the stadium. The National Trust for Historic Preservation has done work for it. The World Monuments Fund. A lot of that has been advocacy. And now that the Getty is delving deeply into modern heritage conservation at the technical level, they are very much looking to what we're going to be doing here. So Hilaria's right. The eyes are on this project. To me, one of the most exciting things that has happened here is I was worried, and we were all worried, that the graffiti community was really not going to abandon that site. And there was the charrette that was held as part of the Keeping It Modern grant, where various parties came together, including architects, preservationists, the graffiti community, Hilario, and the graffiti artists stood up and they said, look, when nobody wanted it, we took it over. But if you're going to do something good with it, we're going to respect it because we're going to respect the architect's vision. And that was, I'm, I get the chills when I say it. I think it's time to hear from the local creative community on the subject of restoring Miami Marine Stadium. So I reach out to artists who were among those behind the layers of paint covering the concrete structure. The abandoned space has been a magnet for graffiti tags and murals for more than two decades. I'm here with two 
Miami-based graffiti artist. Douglas Hoxima, also known as Hox or Hoxo or Hoxie. And uh, you just call me abstract. As I was speaking with architects and advocates and restoration specialists, I thought I need the voice of the people that have made the stadium their canvas for over a decade. Tell me your history with the stadium. How did you first discover this as uh, a place well, you wanted to hang out? I think it was like in high school, and before I painted there, it was like a hangout, but there was already people painting there. But it was a place that like a lot of friends that weren't even into graffiti would go and hang out at night because it was a really cool view of the city. And it was a place that we can go and drink because we were underage. So we would go and hang out there and drink with our girlfriends. It was like a really nice view, you know? So it was a really cool place to go. We used to go up on the roof. People used to skateboard there. And then well, I would paint there in the daytime. I was about like 17 years old. It was painted a lot. It was pretty awesome. It's illegal, but kind of allowed place to go and paint. You probably had to worry more about local graffiti writers than you did ha about like police hassling you. You became involved with the Save the Marine Stadium movement mm -hmm. in a way. The, the graffiti artists took up the torch for the stadium. Why did you do that? Coral Gables Museum, they brought in a group of artists over a period of time. I think it was over like three or four months international artists and stateside artists. Logan Hicks, Tristan Eaton, Ron English, and a slew of local artists, Tatiana Suarez, Johnny Robles, Abstract, Louis Barros, myself, Jose Mertz, Rainier Gamboa. And what did they ask you to do? They asked us to come in and do these interventions, do these murals on the stadium. I was really inspired by Emmett Moore. He wrote Flojo, and he was one of the first artists to utilize the seats. And he wrote his name as the seats were pixels and wrote Flojo. And it was like the giant, this giant, you know, huge name. And it was such a cool way that he used the seats. I was really inspired by that. And I went in with a really close friend, Raymond Brown, with a generator and an airless spray gun. And we painted a giant concentric ring pattern on the It's stadium. still there. Well, actually, that's the second time. I actually did it more than once. And Raina, we painted it in one day. There was a little bit of, like, graffiti politics about me going over everybody, but all I really did was, like, freshen it all up for everybody to go back in and, and write their names everywhere and, and make their marks. From the water, you'd still see my work. It was really cool. That's what so many photographs have captured that's been a consistent, iconic totally. image. Its visibility is tremendous. It used and worked with the architecture. You know, I'm a student of architecture. I have a five-year degree in architecture, and I've always admired that structure for its you know, graffiti history, but also for a long time it was the largest cantilever in the world and just awesome, brutalist, Cubano architecture. You don't really get to say Cubano, brutalist architecture very often. What marks have you made there? I'm just a bunch of like scattered different pieces over the years, like on the roundabout area. And it's funny because like when I was starting to paint, I kind of like learned how to paint there. And, and I'm talking to abstract right now. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I kind of I learned how to paint there. So like some of my worst pieces were done there, but I had a lot of fun doing them. And then I got to paint those same walls again, you know, years later and actually be invited to paint there. 
and do something a lot nicer and my skills more refined. Well, you had the time. I had the time. To, they, yeah, exactly. That was what was really cool about mm -hmm. being invited back is that we were given proper time to actually interact mm -hmm. with the structure. Yeah, we get to hang uh, out there. We actually got to meet the architect who designed it. Well, let's fast forward to today. The restoration is in sight. Mm -hmm. There's a plan. And the plan involves removing the graffiti. How do you feel about that? I don't see that as a bad thing. I think that maybe they should have a designated area that talks about its history because it's very rare that you see a place that opens up, has its lifespan, closes, has graffiti, then reopens again. I'm curious to see how that's going to play out. But I would like to see maybe an area in there that doesn't have to be a mural. It can be like almost like a history of it or a museum or some kind of video or something because that's just a brief part of its history. It's not what made the place. What's important that I learned from mm -hmm. it is that the 200 layers of paint that's on the mm -hmm. cement now is actually degrading what is there underneath, mm -hmm. and it needs to breathe. So the only way that can happen is removing it. Mm -hmm. I understand a lot of documentation of the graffiti yeah, that's the environment most has been documentation's, done. Documentation has been done, which is the most important thing, because none of this stuff lasts. But that's just inherent in graffiti. Yeah, like, it's, it comes and goes. Do it, get your photo, and it, it lives on. Like, I guess what I'm wondering is, will the graffiti artist respect the new space? I mean, I don't think they really have a choice. Hopefully they're informed that literally, you know, artists and graffiti artists actually were a big part in saving this structure. And for me, like, I can't wait for them to have bands there. From what I understand, it's a, an amazing venue to see a performance. Mm -hmm. And if anything, like, I could take my kayak, too. Like, I don't have to pay for the ticket. Yeah, just <laughs> I was going to kayak on over. But regardless of that, you know, I'm biased. I want to see it in its true form. I think there should be some kind of area that pays homage to the full history of the stadium. So it's great that we finally have something that they're going to say, okay, we're going to save this. Artists, Hawks, and Abstract voice their support for saving Miami Marine Stadium. The restoration team asked me to convey this request to any street artists who might be listening. Please, no more paint, Carefully removing the layers of pigment that already cover the concrete architecture is essential to the multi-year restoration process. In the meantime, Hilario Condella, the artist who designed the space as a young man, finds himself imagining Miami Marine Stadium's second life. When one talks about or thinks about and tries to answer the question of the uses of the past and the uses of the future and for the stadium. I always feel that need to clarify this, that the stadium, the program for which it, it was really created, it was all very limited because it was about watching boat races, high-speed boat races. When you look at the life of the stadium, the majority of the uses hasn't been that. So then the logical question is, who thought about those uses and who is responsible for those other uses? The most beautiful answer is the truth, which is the community. The community was the one that kept thinking, oh, we can use this for concerts, or we can use this for popular music or classical music. We can use it for other kind of sports events, like even boxing. We can use it for religious events. We can use it for Easter sunrise services. We can use it for et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It is that quality of the stadium, which is, I think it is as unique as the structure. 
And it is really because the stadium is always ready to be adapting itself to what the community and the users want it to be. So I would like to think, and I continue to think, and Richard and I have our hopes of some other things that we're working on, that the stadium will be ready for the unexpected, and it will happen at the stadium. I'm Kathy Bird, and this is Fresh Art International. Today, we've been talking about the legacy of Miami Marine Stadium. Thank you to the artists and architects, advocates, and restoration specialists who helped me share the story of this national treasure. Ten years of local and national civic engagement is about to pay off. The storied venue will come back to life, reclaiming its identity as a top destination for cultural experiences in Miami. In the very near future, imagine yourself on one of the boats heading across Biscayne Bay for a live performance on Miami Marine Stadium's floating stage. Which musical artist would you like to see in the lineup for opening night? Please tell us how we're doing. Rate and review Fresh Art International on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you go to listen. Each week we bring you conversations with culture producers from around the world. You'll find us streaming from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern every Wednesday on Jolt Radio. Our program is made with the support of listeners like you. Today we set out for Destination Fresh Art 2018. Our first stop is Key West. When you give to Fresh Art International between now and May 5th, you'll be supporting the field expeditions we'll take this year to bring you stories from Puerto Rico, Dakar, the Dominican Republic, Sao Paulo, and more. Now is the perfect time to donate. That's because the Knight Foundation will double your investment dollar for dollar. Go to FreshArtInternational.com and click on the red support button to give what you can. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more contemporary art talk.